0: You pray with me, Father. How can we thank you that that is true? It's not just a song; it's a truth found in your Word. There's a place for those of us who know you as Savior, and you call us your children. We're going to look at that truth and some other truths this morning in your Word. Would you speak to us, Father? Would you? Would you be the one who speaks to hearts? Would your message go forth? Might you have your way with us this morning? Lord, I ask it in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. You do have sermon notes this morning, and they are this color. Apparently, there are certain of us who don't like certain colors, uh, in, uh, for, for sermon notes, so that was a big topic. Do you, do you care what color you have? And I said, no, I don't care what color I have. So I hope you like the color, because I didn't pick it. <laughs> I will tell you that um, I, there was a phone tree message that went out yesterday, and it told you, uh, among other things, a lot of information, but it told you that we will be in Romans chapter 2 today, and it told you to read certain verses. So anybody do that? Good, because it's the wrong verses. Uh, Normally, I said in the first service, I would put a letter of reprimand in that person's folder who did that, but it was me, so I'm not going to do that. So I apologize for giving you Romans chapter 2. It's actually Romans chapter 12 that we're going to be in this morning, and it wasn't a typo. I was just talking, and apparently I didn't find out until this morning uh, that I said Romans 2 instead of 12. So forgive me for that, and uh, know that we will be talking about Romans chapter 12 this morning, not chapter 2. The first line on those sermon notes says that the Christian life is about change. Change. It's it's the process. The Christian life is supposed to be a process of growth, of becoming more and more mature, more and more like Christ. And actually, for the last couple of weeks, I have read a lot of articles. I've actually seen a lot of videos about change on the Internet. But maybe not the change that you're thinking about. This time of year, you can find lots of videos lots of pictures lots of posts about change the change that happens between the time there is a caterpillar and a butterfly there's lots of posts maybe it's just my friends but they're 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 capturing they're 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 taking these caterpillars and they're putting them in containers and they're becoming butterflies It's pretty cool to see. I'm sure you're familiar with the process. If not, trust me, go home and just, you know, Google uh, butterfly or caterpillar to butterfly and for like 10 hours you'll be entertained if you want to be because there's all kinds of videos, all kinds of uh, pictures. And and so I know you, you know what happens. The caterpillar kind of attaches itself to a limb, sheds its skin, and this chrysalis is formed and it looks like nothing's happening right on the outside but on the inside, there's this dynamic change that's taking place from a, a fat caterpillar to a, an insect that can actually fly at the end. And again, that change is, it's amazing, just like the change that happens in the life of a Christian. There, there are a couple of differences, though. One main difference in your, your sermon notes between the change that happens in a butterfly and the change that happens in a Christian is time It takes time for change to happen in the life of a Christian. Another difference is that the the type of change and the rate of change is unique for each Christian. If you take a a hundred caterpillars or exactly the same caterpillars and they attach themselves to a limb and they form a chrysalis in, in a week, in two weeks, depending on the type of moth or, or butterfly, they'll all go, they're all going to become the same looking moth or butterfly. The change will be the same and the, the time that it takes will be the same. But in a, in a Christian's life, that the, the amount of change that happens is different. The rate of change at which it happens is different. And even the type of change that happens in a person's life can be different for each individual uh, unique believer. So, although it's exciting to see a caterpillar become a butterfly, although not that exciting after you've seen it like a dozen times, trust me, uh, it's even more exciting to see the change that happens in the life of a Christian as they become a mature man or a mature woman of God. That process we all probably learned in elementary school, maybe some of us are still learning that, is called metamorphosis, right? And, And I have a definition of that in your sermon notes, metamorphosis is defined as a change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. As Christians, our nature is changed when we accept Christ, when we become a believer at the point of salvation. Our nature is changed. But in, in a very real way, our nature continues to change. It continues to grow. Again, we become more mature as this process of change happens in our lives, as we grow. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. We want to talk about growth. We want to talk about change. And again, as I said, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 to do that. And what we're going to discover in your sermon notes is that right thinking leads to right action. Right thinking leads to right action. And then we're going to really discover how this process can occur in our lives. So let me just start reading in Romans. I'm just going to read the first two verses, and then I'll continue to read as as I progress this morning. It says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The first word in chapter 12 is the word therefore. And it refers not just back to a, a verse or two or, or, or a chapter or two, but actually refers back to the entire 11 verses of the book of Romans. Paul has been building this case, really, in the book of Romans, uh, and, and he, he shares uh, the gospel message, he shares sort of the reality of, uh, of, of where we find ourselves as people on planet Earth. He basically says that we have all fallen short, we've all sinned, and, and, and because of that, there's this separation between us, every one of us, and God. That's what Scripture very clearly teaches. And so, and, and we have to pay, the, the, the penalty of that sin really is that separatedness. We really are under, uh, 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 we deserve punishment, Scripture says we're under wrath, and and it also says there's nothing we can do about it. But then Paul says, but God, knowing that situation, in his great mercy, he sent his son, Jesus. He paid our penalty so that we might have life, that we might be set free, as we were singing about just a few moments ago he paid the penalty that we might have life. We might have this abundant life. We might have a relationship with God. The separation is gone and we can have this relationship with him. Paul then goes on to talk about how this plan was God's plan from the beginning of time. And his plan included Jews and non-Jews. And he talks about how that kind of was woven throughout history. And in in chapter 11, he just ends by praising God for his incredible mercy. And and this amazing plan of salvation that includes the whole world. And then he comes to chapter 12 and says, therefore, so in light of that, because of this amazing truth, this amazing mercy, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And then he goes on really to talk about how that's possible. And I want to talk about how is that possible that we can live a life as a living sacrifice to God. Paul says in verse 2 that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and then, he says, we will be able to test and approve God's will. So our thinking has to be correct. And that's really our first truth in your in your sermon notes, is that we must think rightly about God's mercy. We have to understand God's mercy. We have to understand what Paul has been talking about, really, for the first 11 chapters of Romans, that we had no hope, that we were... Dead, it says, in our sin, and yet God made a way. Romans, in uh, chapter 2, I think, says no one is righteous. No one has done anything good. We we just have no hope. We can't even, not only do we not choose right, we can't choose right, is basically what Romans says. But God steps in and sends a son. That's God's mercy. That's what Paul tells us. That's God's amazing mercy. Mercy. So we have to understand God's mercy in order to think right. If we think about it as a Christian, that's really the foundation of our Christian beliefs is God's mercy. We have to understand the gospel message, and his mercy is at the the center, at the core of that message. We have to understand his great love for us, and then he showed mercy to us. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 1. Chapter, uh, verse 13, it says, For he has rescued us. We needed rescued. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Even more than that, even as they just sung this morning, John one twelve says, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He not only saves us from punishment and sets us free, he makes us his children. That's what Scripture says. That's amazing mercy. There's a lot more I could say about mercy. Again, Paul spends 11 chapters talking about it. I'm going to continue to, to move forward because Paul kind of turns his attention now away from God's mercy, and he starts to talk about us. In verse 3, it says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. From this verse and the next couple verses, we come to our second truth that's in your scripture, sorry, that's in your sermon notes. And that is we must think rightly about ourselves. We have to think rightly about ourselves. Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself. No, he's not saying think, you know, too little of yourself either. He's saying, use, he says, use sober judgment. Use correct judgment. Look at yourself accurately, is really what Paul says is saying. It's, and that's necessary for us to have a right view of ourselves. In your sermon notes, I have a statement there that says, pride is a very real problem for many people. But for others, they see themselves as having little value, as, as being unlovable, as being not as good as others. When I wrote that this week, I couldn't help but think back to the series Selfless Living in a Selfie World, and we talked about how that the world so often makes us feel inadequate, like we don't measure up, like we're not valuable. But God's Word tells us that's not true. We are valuable. You are very valuable. God's Word says He sent His Son for you. For you He sent His Son. Jesus died for you. That's what what his word says. And, and, And more than that, not only did he die for you, it says that you are valued and that you are his daughter, that you're his son. That's what God's word says. It's the exact opposite of what the world says to us at times. We are highly valued. We have to understand that. You're a son, you're a daughter if you've accepted Christ. So we have to have a, a correct view of ourselves, and that includes humility while understanding our value to God. That's, that's one part of right thinking rightly about ourselves. The next part is kind of where we belong in the body of Christ. Let's look at verses 4 through the first part of 6. It says this, for just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then he begins to talk about some of the gifts, which we'll mention here in just a moment. Paul says, really, we all have value and we all have a role to play in this body of Christ called the church. There are local bodies and there's the, the universal, the global body of Christ as well. And he's saying we have been designed to function within that body. We have a role to play. He, he talks a lot about gifts here in this passage and even more so in a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he says this, I will put it up there and I'll just read a part of it. He says the body, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many, Paul says, just like he does here. And then he gives some examples, right? These are familiar to you if you've been a Christian for quite a while. It says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason stop being part of the body. And he gives another example, and in verse 17, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Like, it doesn't make sense. Paul is saying, we can't all be eyes, we can't all be feet, we can't just say, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be that. We, we, we've been given a gift, we've been given a role, and, and we, we have a part to play. This is what it says in verse 18, it says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now there's lots of sermons that you've heard in this uh, from this place and others about uh, gifts, and I, I don't wanna spend a ton of time on that. What I, What I simply wanna say is that, What Paul is saying here is that each believer, each person that's accepted Christ, has been given a gift, a spiritual gift, perhaps more than one, right? And and those gifts, that gift is to be used in the context of the body to encourage, to bring maturity to one another. We're to mutually benefit one another. Now, some of those gifts are to be used outside the body as well. Don't get me wrong. But the design here is he wants, to, he wants those in Rome to understand and us to understand that we've been given a gift and we are to use it so that we can spur one another on to growth, to maturity. That's one of the reasons we have gifts not only that, but the church as a whole, so this local body needs all of the people using all of their gifts in order to fulfill the role that God has for this church in Butler and around the world. That's the design we see in Scripture. So the second truth is that we have to think rightly about ourselves, and that means that we have to understand that we are valuable, that we have been given a gift, that we have a role to play, that we're an important part of a body, that we fit into a larger part. Not, we're, we're not in this alone. We're part of a body. And then Paul continues. So, so what happens is he lays out this right thinking, as he's done here in these first six verses, and then he, he begins to turn his attention towards, okay, so now you understand this. Now you, you, this is the way you are to think. So, so then What? And Paul begins to say, now you're going to turn those thoughts into action, really. And, and in verses 6 through 8, I love these verses. I love this passage because it's straightforward, which is easy for me. It says this, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is serving, then serve. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is, to, if it is giving, then give generously. I mean, it's not really that difficult, is it? Like, we don't need a lot of translation there. He, Paul is basically saying, use your gift. He lays out the design. This is, this is how we're going to be thinking about God's mercy. This is how we're going to understand ourselves and our role. And then he says, so go do it. Get to it. Use your gift. You'll notice that most of these gifts and then most of the actions and attitudes that follow are focused not on ourselves but on others. And that is really our third truth. Very simple. In your sermon notes it says, we must act rightly toward others. Because Paul moves away then from this specific list of spiritual gifts and he begins to to list out attitudes and actions specifically. In fact, at least in my Bible, the, the, the title which isn't part of original scripture sort of for this section is love in action. And this is what verses 9 through 13 say. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That's quite a list. That's quite a list of the things we are supposed to do. And Paul says, this is what our life is supposed to look like. In fact, he continues verses 14 to, to 21, and then actually all of chapter 13, these are actions and attitudes mostly focused on other people. In, in verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. In verse 16, he says, live in harmony with one another. And really, the message there is live in harmony with, with everyone, all of the one another's in your life. Verse 17 says, do not repay evil for evil. So Paul is saying, this is the life we should be living. This is how we should be acting toward others. And at first glance, it can seem seem impossible. We have to remember what we've been talking about this morning, and what Paul was talking about for 11 chapters, right? He's been talking about God's incredible mercy. And really what he's saying is, as we understand God's mercy, what he, as we understand what he's done for us, as we understand who we are in Christ, we're his children. As we understand that we have a gift and a role to play, then really out of, out of thankfulness, as we understand that, out of love for him, this is how we should be acting towards others. It's, it's not sort of, hey, we're, we're faking it on the outside, but inside, you know, I'm loving you on the outside, but not so much on the inside. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying these actions should be genuine. So you may be here this morning, and you may be looking at this list of things in verse 9 and, and following, and you might say, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm falling short in some of those areas. In fact, you, you may look at that list and say, listen, I've fallen short in several of these areas Today. And it's just 11.30, right? I understand that. So, so the question is, how is it possible to live this way? We have to remember what we've been talking about this morning, change, right? We started with the, the caterpillar to the butterfly, but the change that happens in a Christian's life is growth. Growth is necessary in our life in order to live this way, in order for right thinking to lead to right action. And the key to it is found in verse 2. So I want to go back there. Verse 2 says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Right? So this transformation is change. The transformation is change. It's growth. That is supposed to happen through renewing of our minds. And so I want to spend some time, the rest of our time this morning, talking about how that renewing of our minds takes place, at least some of the ways it takes place. I want to give you three of those. In fact, in your sermon notes, it says that transformation occurs through the renewing of our minds. And so now I want to give you three ways this morning that that can happen so that we can live the life that Paul, and and obviously God, is calling us to live. First and foremost in your sermon notes, the renewing of our mind comes from knowing and applying God's Word. Our minds are renewed, they are changed, they are renovated as we spend time in God's Word. As we understand it more deeply, more clearly, as we apply it to our lives, our thinking is changed, and that results in our actions being changed. Sorry, our thinking is really renewed, it's recalibrated, and that results in us growing and our actions being different. This process is is called discipleship. It's called becoming mature. It's called, really, in Scripture, the theological term, sanctification. We're becoming more like Christ, more holy, more separated. And a key component of that is personal time in God's Word. So there's a couple questions in your sermon notes, and I don't want you to answer these uh, out loud, but you, you can jot the answer in your sermon notes if you want. It simply says, am I growing or are you growing spiritually? Are you growing significantly? And I would, I would define significantly as can you look at your life six months ago and look at it now and say, yeah, it's different. I'm different. Can the people around you look and say, yeah, he's different, she's different. Are you growing significantly? I hope the answer is yes. If the answer is no or not a lot, then you need to ask yourself the question that's in your sermon notes. Am I spending time regularly spending time in God's Word. That's the key. That's the key. This word, this Bible, is, is, is a key component. It's the key component of our growth. We need to be spending time in it. And, and what I mean by that is, is not just sort of, you know, reading a verse a day or a little pamphlet a day or even a chapter a day or even 10 chapters a day. It's not about reading. It's about pondering. It's about thinking about it. It's really about praying and asking God, what is the truth here in these verses that you want me to apply to my life? Because as we apply scripture, as we understand it more and our minds are renewed and we apply it, then we change, then we grow. That's the process. We have to be in God's word. If you want change in your life, if you want transformation, if you want metamorphosis, you've got to be in God's word there's no substitute. The next way that God brings about renewing renewal of our minds is we have to be in God's house with God's people. It doesn't necessarily have to be in this house. And I hope it is. I hope if you're here this morning, you keep coming. And if you've been coming for a long time, I hope you keep coming. We want you here. You have to be in God's house. Because the design, God's design is that we all together, we come together physically in the same place. We gather together, to hear God's word preached, to hear it taught, to praise God, to give worship to him, but also then to use our gifts, one with another, so that we can grow and mature. We can help one another grow and mature. So, so this person uses their gift to help you grow and mature, and this person uses their gift to help me grow and mature, and I use my gift to help these folks grow and mature. That's the design. So we have to be together for that to happen. A great way to to find a group of people to do that with is life groups. They're out there. Sign up for them. Sign up for them. We want people to be involved in community. We talk about that a lot. What does that look like? What does that mean? It means a place, uh, really, spending time with a group of people where you can be real, where you can be yourself, where you can be transparent, where you can ask questions like, I don't get what God's talking about. Or, I don't even feel like God's walking with me at all right now. What what do you guys think? Because in those groups, you're going to use Scripture as a foundation to answer those kinds of questions. So I just want to encourage you to be in that type of community. Here's what I want to tell you. If you're looking for that kind of community, maybe you've already found it, and that's awesome. If you're looking for it and you haven't found it, I I want to tell you two things. The first thing I want to tell you is you can find that kind of community here in this church. Here's the second thing I want to tell you. It's really hard to find that kind of community if you're here once or twice a month for an hour. That's the truth. You need to be here or you need to be in a group. Doesn't necessarily have to meet here. Many of them meet during the week. Many of them meet on Sunday. Many of them meet in people's homes. Be a part of a group where you can have community. That's the second way that God renews our minds. The third way and the last way is that he renews our minds through our own life experiences in your sermon notes. He really teaches us right thinking through life lessons. And so often those lessons involve hardship. They involve pain and loss and depression, trials, difficulties. It's often in those times where we come to understand God's mercy more fully, understand ourselves more correctly. And, and, and what, what ends up happening often, unfortunately, unfortunately this has been true in my life. I've seen it in the lives of others. We sort of come to the end of our rope, right? We have nowhere else to go, so we turn to God. Well, it's kind of dumb. Why don't we turn to him in the first place, right? But that's what happens. We, we, we walk through, we, we get to the place where we just say, I've got no choice and we cry out to God. And what God wants is, he wants us to cry out to him every day every moment, even when life is fantastic. But often we learn that through difficulties and trials. It's clearly a scriptural principle. In James chapter 1, it talks about this. And when I read these verses this week, I just thought, you know, I kind of paused at verse 2. And I thought, if it's the first time you've ever heard James chapter 1, verse 2, it doesn't seem to make sense. This is what it says, right? Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face many trials, or trials of many kinds. I mean, when you just read that verse, you're like, what? Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you already know what's coming. So you're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But it's not really that cool when you first read it. It doesn't seem to make sense. Why is he saying that? And he does give us the answer, thankfully. He says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature, complete. It's saying so that you can grow. That's why those trials come. God uses life experiences to cause growth. As we read His Word, as we hear it preached, as we hear it taught, as we come together, as we spend time with other people, and we 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 use our gifts and they use theirs, either in a in a large context or a a smaller group context, we change we are transformed because our thinking is renewed. And I really thought a lot this week about that that word renewed. It's almost like recalibrate. And and one of the things I put in your sermon notes is it gives you a different perspective. We begin to look at people differently as our mind is renewed. Perspective is defined as a point of view or an attitude towards something. And, And as I finish, I just want to share an example where we see Jesus has one perspective and his disciples have another. That happens in Mark 10. People were bringing little children, it says, to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant towards his disciples. He said, let the little children come to me. And then he says a few things, and in verse 16 he says, and he took the children in his arms, He, he placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. The disciples see the children and the parents as a nuisance, as a problem. And, and I think probably they looked at them as, you are stopping us and Jesus from doing what's really important. Jesus saw those same people, the, the children and the adults, and he said, let them come to me. He saw them from a completely different perspective. He, he saw them through the eyes of love and compassion. And he wanted to spend time with them and bless them as our minds are renewed we more and more see people like Jesus saw them and as he still sees them that's what I'm convinced of rather than seeing another person's faults and weaknesses and focusing on that we start to realize that those faults and weaknesses are part of my life as well and this person needs Jesus in their life just like I did Rather than seeing a person as unlovable or just kind of not worth the time, we begin to see that person as someone that Jesus loves and Jesus died for. And so we begin to act differently then towards that person. That type of renewal, that type of renewal in our thinking happens when we spend time in God's Word and in His house with God's people And as God teaches us life lessons through life experience. And so that right thinking leads to right action. And that's what Paul is calling us to this morning. And when that formula is followed, change occurs. Growth occurs. We become more mature. It'll take time. It's not as quick as the butterfly turned into a caterpillar, turning into a butterfly, But I can guarantee you that the change in the life of a Christian, the change that can happen in your life, is more dramatic. It's way more important, and it's way more impactful. And that's my challenge for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that makes clear that we are to grow, and then you give us everything we need to grow. You give us your spirit, you give us your word, you give us your church, you, you give us other believers. You never leave us or forsake us. I give you praise for that. Lord, I pray if there are some here that just need encouragement because they don't really believe that, that they are valued, Lord, I pray that you'd encourage them. If some need challenge to really spend time in your word, I pray that you challenge them. Challenge, to, if people need challenge to really make a commitment to say, I'm gonna be in a community of people where I can grow. Pray that you challenge them in that. Father, would you speak to us, not just at this moment, but as we leave this place and in the coming days. We commit ourselves to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to let you know that in 10 minutes, that's 10 minutes, family experience will be happening in Kid Stuff Theater. So please don't miss that. I also want to let you know that next week, Denny will be back. He'll be beginning a series in the book of Philippians called Joyride. So you don't want to miss that. Come back next week. If you need prayer, if you want to talk to me or any of the elders or anyone else, just come forward. We'll be here to talk with you, pray with you. Uh, If you don't need that, thank you so much for being here. Have a great day. Stay a little bit dry.